welcome hi to the completely unnecessary podcast number three three five <clears throat> fives and zeros crazy for, for we're in the fall now officially fall is fallen tuesday why are you why are you yawning right in the beginning uh doesn't tuesday, matter <laughs> september 27th you have all the time in the world to yawn 2022 that's yawning ian ferguson the yawning triceratops <laughs> that's <laughs> me you need a t-shirt of that yawning triceratops i'm pat country we're actually wearing the into the am shirts that's right Use code country, C-O-N-T-R-I, to save on these nice nice graphic tees. On the show today, we'll be talking about um, uh, certain certain game auctions coming up from a specific individual. We're talking about Consumer Reports uh, gaming chairs a little bit. That's right. It's fun. And we'll also be uh, doing a Patreon poll, listening to your voice messages. And we discuss space, how awesome technology is on the exclusive patreon.com slash you podcast uh yeah nothing matters podcast that's the name of it almost forgot we talked about how like you could see jupiter clear as day not clear as day but pretty clear yesterday and and uh nasa crashed on purpose a satellite into an asteroid millions of miles away from the from the from the planet which is incredible we also discovered what the bedtimes are for space campers Yes, we wish it was 1986 again here mm-hmm. on the CU Podcast with just space, space ice cream. It was all, you don't want to miss it. Be sure to check it out. Um, what else happened there? I watched The the Predator mm. over the weekend. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. Uh, the Predator came out in 2018. Not Predator 1987. The Predator. Right. 2018. Uh, written and directed by Shane Black, who was Hawkins in the original Predator. Young, young, young. Oh, that's right. So the story was because Shane Black has written and directed a lot of things. He wrote *Lethal Weapon*. He's written *Kiss*. He he wrote and directed *Kiss Kiss Bang Bang*. Uh, He he wrote and directed *Iron Man 3*, which most people love. Uh, He wrote and directed uh, *Nice Guys*, which is amazing. If you haven't seen *Nice Guys*, go watch *Nice*. It's on Netflix. Uh, So he's written a lot of things. Uh, *Last Boy Scout*, people like that one, the Bruce Willis one. And, uh, Never saw that one. It's supposed to be good. So he's been a pro- prolific writer, usually on the action side, action with humor stuff. So the story was for, for Predator 87, they hired him. They said, oh, you're going to act in it, and you can help us punch up the script while you're here. And I think the story was basically, he's like, well, I don't want to do double duty. I'm not going to be writing it as I'm in the f- fucking jungle here. I'm going right. to act. Yeah. But that's why they got, got him on to do it. So I'm sure he punched it up here and there. So that's what he's known for. So, But then he wrote and directed The Predator 2018. That was a, I mean, a bad movie. And I've never seen Alien vs. Predator 2, which is supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be miserable. And I've never seen most of the first Alien vs. Predator, which I think is supposed to be kind of eh. It's, eh, it's uh, the first Alien vs. Uh, Predator, my problem with it is it's actually like it follows the comic pretty well. It uses some ideas. Uh-huh. It's a good story. Like, it's a good framing for it. Mm-hmm. It was released in that time where all, like, bef- between, like, live action and CG, where like all of the like fights and action were quick cuts and you never really saw anything oh, God. like you never really like that was my problem with it. You didn't really see the action. Sure. So and then I saw some of Predators, which was pretty good where they take the humans back to the to the Predator planet. Little little by the books, but it was fine. It was fine. It was fine. This is not fine. This movie. And I, and I think I had it DVR'd. Uh, on you, or D- YouTube TV, it's in the cloud, whatever DVR. I, I decided, decided to check it out because it's like it's like uh, is it even two hours, one hundred and seven minutes? It's it, it moves along. It's billed as a science fiction action horror comedy. 
there's comedic elements on the uh, the Wikipedia at least because I've never seen this, so I'm just following along. I here. almost don't want it. I almost wanted to have this conversation after you saw. It. Maybe maybe I could. I, I'm not going to see okay. it. <laughs> so so the cast is amazing for this movie. Uh, the the cast includes people like Sterling K. Brown. Uh, you have Thomas Jane in it. You have Keegan Michael Key uh, in it, for example. So there's good. Yeah, those are good people. Yes, yes, they're used like garbage in it. The characters are terrible, but. The, so, so here's the premise of the Predator. The premise of the Predator is you figure out it starts with like a space battle between you realize it's two Predator ships from their right. homeworlds, and one escapes and comes to Earth, which ends up being like the one on the run. You figure out there's two Predators in this movie. There's a regular Predator and there's a giant Predator, like it's like as big as the one in Prey, but I don't know if it's that species or something else. Uh, it sounds like it's something weird was going on with that. So. The Predator crash lands, and then uh, B- Boyd Holbrook's character. You you would know who Boyd Holbrook is when you see him. He's like I don't wanna, I don't want to call anyone generic, but he's like the blonde action guy they get in some of these movies. He's the star of this. He's a he's a he's a um uh, he's a sniper in the movie, and then it crash lands, and then he gets some technology. He back in his backpack, and of course. Of course, Sterling K. Brown is just the he's the evil government guy who's evil just to be evil, but he's always like chewing gum for some reason, and he has no disregard he has no regard for human life, so if you get in his way, he's gonna kill you. So Sterling K. Brown wants to get back this this predator tech they because they find the body. And this is the one that has Olivia Munn in it. And this was Olivia Munn, there was some weird stuff that happened in I'm this. reading about uh, it. There was like a small role from one of Shane Black's friends that was a convicted sex offender. That uh, that Olivia a registered Munn, felony sex offender since 2010. Yeah, and Olivia Munn uh, spoke out about it, and so the, the part was cut. It sounded like it was a, me- a meaningless cut anyway. Uh, o- Olivia Munn's character in this movie, all the characters like don't belong in the movie. That's the problem. So uh, now I'll go into the other ones, but I'll start with Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn plays a biologist that is brought on to examine the predator body at a government facility. The reason she's brought on, I'm not even making this up, She's known as a biologist, and, and Sterling K., who's evil still, but like invite, inviting her in to look at an alien body, which, by the way, is strapped on a gurney, Ian, with no real restraints. It's just like leathers, like leathery. It's not like in like a, like a cage. It's not in like an aluminum shell. It's sedated. It's alive and sedated, and it's just strapped down. So they go into decontamination before they can see the body. But they're not wearing any facial protection or breathing apparatus around an alien body. It's insane. But they have the rest of the hazmat suit on. Okay. The one redeeming thing about this movie. Jake Busey is in it playing the son of Gary Busey's uh, character from Predator 2. Oh, okay. It's the same last name. But he's only in the movie for five minutes. So it doesn't matter at the government facility. But it's a cool little, little tag on there. So Olivia Munn is brought on to examine the body, but does nothing. And the reason she's there in the story is that, well, I wrote a, I, I wrote a letter to the president when I was six years old saying I love science, and now I'm a biologist, and they cross-referenced my name, and that's why I was the chosen biologist to come look at the body. That was why they sought her out to come look at a fucking alien body that the government has. <sighs> Like, that was literally in the movie, and it wasn't like a wink. It, they know it makes no sense. So, of course, of course, the Predator is no longer sedated all of a sudden and literally just undoes the straps and kills everyone. Probably the best part of the movie. Kills all the scientists. At the same time this is happening, you can't make the, how, how bad this is. 
At the same time this is happening, right outside this government facility, which should be fucking locked down worse than anything like NORAD, but it's not. It's, it looks like some, some uh, just regular building somewhere, some biotech building. A bus with a bunch of uh, bad acting soldiers that either have PTSD or shot their CO are on a bus. This ragtag group, including Thomas Jane and Keegan-Michael Key, they're on a bus outside this facility being transported to group therapy for some reason. Not making this up. At the same facility where they have an alien body, and of course the the, the predator escapes, and then those guys decide, hey, we should hunt down the, the predator. And I, when I'm watching this movie, I can't tell is this supposed to be a comedy the whole time? Is this am I supposed to be taking this whole thing seriously? Uh, Thomas Shane has Tourette's for no reason. Then he doesn't have Tourette's later in the movie. His character, everything's played for a weird joke. It's it. The tone is all over the fucking map. Yeah, and it sounds like it. It's just a very, very stupid script. Yeah, I, I'm not even getting into the action, but it's it's so. I don't know what to say. Shane Black just swung and missed, and and you know he's usually a really good writer, and this yeah, is, this looks was like, not it. Looks like there's um, uh, quite a bit of talk about there being problematic representations of autism in the film. Okay, Forgot we're, we're going to have to move on here, but okay. but, but real quick, <laughs> can't hang up on this. The autistic child, which um, goes from being like not being able to communicate to a regular kid, it, it like swings back and forth during the movie. Doesn't make any sense. He's a regular kid. What's that? He's a regular. I mean, in terms of like the acting, he goes yes. from not being able to communicate. All of a sudden, he's communicating. He's with like, yeah. Um, but he can. He figured out the predator language because he's autistic, right? That in, he does in the movie. He figures out sure. the predator language. through the mask. He's doing all these manipulations. He gets the mask from his father, the sniper. It's ridiculous. One of the worst parts of the movie is that there's two bullies that call him Asperger because I guess he's supposed to have Aspergers. They call him Asperger. Um, he walks around later in the movie. The same bullies that hassle him at school come back later, and the kid is wearing the predator mask. And he has the gall on which gives him powers. He gets recognized by the bullies when he has a fucking full mask on covering him. And at that point, I'm like, I'm done. That was like 40 minutes, 40 minutes into the movie. I'm like, I'm done. I'm fucking done with this movie. But I had to, I had to see it through. Some of the action's decent. There's two different predators, which is for a time, there's two different predators. Spoilers, the one kills the other. And the ending, okay, I'll give away the ending. The ending is this. The Predator came to Earth to give us the special anti-Predator weapon. Not making this up. The anti-Predator weapon is revealed at the end as, like, it attaches yourself. You basically become Iron Man. It's an Iron Man Predator armor that a human could wear. A piece of technology floats out and attaches itself to a lab worker working as a transformative Predator killer suit before deactivating, realizing the first Predator was trying to pass it on to humanity for a fair fight against the larger Predators. McKenna indicates he will be the pilot to operate the suit. It's awful. Well, I'm so glad that this did not continue. This was supposed to be a trilogy. trilogy. And it didn't continue. Yeah, that sounds absolutely miserable. It was miserable. Now we're going to move on. What else is going on? Oh, boy. Well, my weekend, uh, that was long. So my weekend was fun. I just played Splatoon 3 for most of the weekend. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Uh, Getting better at it. It's fun to play something online and competitive again and go shoot people with paint. There you go. So that was was basically that. Uh, So... There's a Consumer Reports report on gaming chairs. Consumer Reports report? Consumer Reports report. Or Consumer Report. Consumer Report report. Okay. However you want to look at it. And um, they went through a bunch of gaming chairs and um, reviewed them. 
And it's interesting because I think the the the, the intro kind of talks about um you know how you know bucket seats are not uh bucket seats are not ideal for gaming chairs. They they, they exist to keep uh, race car drivers from flying out of their seats on turns. So the, the race car style like this over to my left. Yeah, there, like, there's absolutely no reason for it to, for for that to to be like in a, a thing. It's okay. just it's just to look cool. So they note that a lot of this is just you know how cool can we make stuff look? Um, but they did say that there were um, you know two that they really recommended: uh, the Herman Miller Embody, which is one thousand eight hundred dollars, and the Cooler Master Ergo L, which is four hundred and forty-five dollars. So they're saying that's worth it for four. By the way, this is from yeah. Nicholas De Leon uh, here. Best gaming chairs article. Some of it is free, but obviously Consumer Reports has no advertising. That's why they're the go-to source for Consumer Reports on products because they accept zero advertising. Yeah. So they go through and they 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 rate a few, and these ones I think are the ones that they rated a little bit more highly because they're five out of fives and four out of fives for a lot of things. Um, you know, like the Herman Miller is all fives except for ease of use, which is four. Uh, ease of use would be like I guess the reclining and lowering yeah, tilt and stuff. back. Yeah. Um, and then the Cooler Master Ego was mostly four out of fives, except for the ergonomic design was five out of five. And then a lot of them, you know, they they go down from there, but they don't list anything. Nothing has is lower than a three out of five on anything except for the G Tracing gaming chair with a comfort level of three point five. So, anyways, Consumer Reports is great. Uh, my favorite magazine as a child I was not it. was not uh, Nintendo Power. It was Zillions, uh, the Consumer Reports magazine for kids, where they actually oh. got kids and like they took all the cool toys for the year. I don't remember and that. And they actually had kids like review them and stress test them and write the reviews. And yeah, it was an awesome magazine. It stopped in two thousand. Uh, you know when print media started to die. Um, so yeah, consumer reports always good to look at. And so, I just like that this article justified what I've so, always said. So many of these just look cool, but they're not comfortable to sit in. Well, is there, is there a TLDR that if you, if you eyeball it, that, that is there any correlation between the more, the, the pricer it is, the more comfortable it is, or is it all over the map? It's all over the map. That's why it's all over the map. That's why they like, there is like the one that got, I think the worst rating I think is only like 180 bucks. But like I said, they, when they announced and, and consumer reports is good about doing this with most things, they, they give you a price range. They're like, if you've got the money, this is a good one to get. Sure. And if you've got Best less value. money, this 451 is, yeah. is better too. I was, so I, that's why I like them. I think this chair is really comfortable that we're sitting in right now. I don't like this chair. You and I are different. And okay. I think a lot of uh, it comes down to personal, like or, you know, personal back. preference, you okay. know? But the point is, is that like this chair is not super, super expensive. I think the, I think these chairs were under a hundred each. I think, I think they're under a hundred. Under, under a hundred. I think they were about under a hundred. Okay. Why? That seems incredibly cheap to me. Maybe it was a deal. Maybe nowadays it'd be more money. I bought these like five years ago. Maybe they were a hundred. Uh, but the, the point is that like that one, this one to my left here, this has all the bells and whistles. I think this was one fifty here. But I don't think the quality of this would be that much worse than one that costs three hundred dollars or three fifty for what you get. I just think a lot of these chairs, it was, the, the marketing's built into some of these, and I don't think a lot of these are that much different for the price. I guess that's my point. Sure, maybe these were like one twenty each, maybe something like that. Maybe. I'm sorry, it was uncomfortable. Should I get no, an extra right. for you? I think these are perfect. The reason I don't use this for that is because this doesn't have a full headrest. I like this has a full headrest uh, on the left. I can yeah, full that. headrest is nice. Uh, and then I think it's – I don't like this lump here. I think that's my big – Lump? The, you mean the curve? Yeah. 
Oh. That's my big takeaway is I'm just not huge okay. on that lower lumbar lump. And I, I never I, have been. I like the lumbar Never support. have been. I'm a, I'm a lumbar support guy. I, I like my lumbar support. I probably should like it, but... I was going to say, yeah. I don't know what, what the shape of your sp- spinal cord is. But it's like, awful. It's it, a miserable it's shape. <laughs> okay. Uh, Disney wants to do two games per... Uh, do two Star Wars games per year. Not just two games. Uh, Disney wants to do two Star Wars games per year. That's the new report. They'll be pushing for one AAA game, one smaller game every fiscal year going forward. Um, I think it's a bad idea to lock yourself into something and say that. I, I mean, I don't know why you would say that because now you put you put the pressure on yourself to do what you said. And I mean, when things are scheduled like that, obviously quality goes out the window because it's ship or shit, shit or ship, <laughs> shit, shit or get off the pot. Um, yeah, I don't mind doing like a smaller, medium sized game every year because you can do like a smaller budget game that's an interesting I actually think type. yeah i think the um, smaller games would that that would actually be kind of cool or but do like a go back to i don't know there hasn't been a a when's the last time we had a real-time strategy star wars game or turn-based one how far back was that you know something like that like the, like the ones from the late 90s or 2000s so i don't mind doing that or going back to the combat sims you know we just had the x-wing squadrons come back but you know you can do a new tie updated tie fighter every th- probably three four years probably so I, I can understand working that into the rotation, but I don't think we can support a new fucking Jedi game every year. A giant no, Jedi game. We can't every we year. can't support a new um, we can't support uh, a new uh AAA game every year. I mean, just look at what happens with everything else. It, 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 the quality decreases. Sure. I mean, is it, if it, uh, and they already canceled. I guess they're going to restart the 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 Knights of the Republic remake that they're going full steam ahead and they put it on was it indefinite hold? I don't know. Would that count as one? Is that a medium-sized one? I don't know. Uh, Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. I can never remember the name of the RTS. Yeah. So, uh, Insider Gaming reports that Lucasfilm is on board from the from the plan. This is from Steve Watts at GameSpot reporting. Uh, this includes Jedi Survivor. Great, another Jedi. Uh, Star Wars Eclipse from Quantic Dream. The competitive shooter Star Wars Hunters. And untitled games from a few other companies, including Ubisoft. So, we have. A, if you, I guess if you have a bunch of different... They farm out a bunch of different... Uh, several studios are getting doing working on these. I mean, I, I think that's fine. I just don't know if there's a market mass market for a triple A game every single year like that. I think there um, is. I mean, the Star Wars fandom is massive. I just I don't think uh, you set yourself up for failure when you say shit like that. That's all I. I guess you could say we haven't seen that since the '90s. But when 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 you did it in the '90s, they were entirely different games coming out all the time. Sure. You had combat sims, you had dark forces, you had your first-person shooter, you have your your, your strategy, uh, the game we've talked about. Uh, so you had all these different things uh, that were going on at the same time. Um, and you had even stuff like the arcade type of games, like Rebel Assault on the side. All different things happening. But the quality of all those games were, were really high. There wasn't like really like a Star Wars like stinker that came out then where it was like, oh, this game was just fucking terrible. Even the ones that weren't as good was like, these are still Masters fun. of Terrace Kasi. I'm not counting that. I'm, I guess I think more of the computer stuff. I'm not talking. Okay, I'm not counting that. Well, that's pretty bad. Yeah, I'm not talking about like some w- weird fucking, what was that, just on PlayStation? Um, I'm not talking about that. But I don't anyway. think that was on PC. I think it was PlayStation only. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about more like at the same time they were doing Dark Forces, Dark Forces 2, TIE Fighter. They were doing, you know, the Rebel Assault games. They were doing all these like bangers one after another. That's what I'm more talking about. Um, anyway, so I guess, I guess we'll see what happens with that. If you If you love your Star Wars, you can get two games every year. What else is going on here? Uh, speaking of gaming, a YouTuber, popular YouTuber named Donkey, uh, not Donkey, Donkey, starting their own game company. Um, this is a YouTuber 
that has mil- millions of subscribers. Yeah, uh, I content creator says he wants to use his reach to help bring the best indie games to market. Uh, they're launching a game publisher. I'm sick of sitting on the sidelines. Popular content creator Jason Gastro, better known as Video Game Donkey, or just Donkey, has announced he's launching a bit game publisher called Big Mode. Speaking in an announced video, Gastro said, this comes from Video Games Chronicle, uh, Tom Ivan. Uh, speaking in an announced video, Gastro said he was sick of watching from the sidelines and believes he'll be able to use his reach and experience critiquing video games to help bring promising indie titles to market. However, many industry pundits and developers have questioned his qualifications for running a game development company. Okay, so I think that's the question. Is he developing from the ground up, or is he just going to be a publisher? Because those are two entirely different things. Well, no, it's uh, it's publishing, and I think that the, the, they're, they're, that's what it says, not developing. And I, th- I think the concerns are still still hold. Um, I just dropped an article that I, I looked up that's pretty good uh, by Stacey Hunley on The Gamer. And I mean, the concerns are pretty big. Um, you know, it, it seems like one of those things where I don't want to say drunk on power, but you get popular, you get surrounded by yes men and you, no one no one asks you, what are your qualifications? And he says, you know, well, I, you know, I've, I've, I've championed a lot of these games, you know, but it's always it's always the games after they come out. Sure. The publishing's been taken care of. Now you've got to really get into the nitty gritty and find the seeds that are worth developing. And that's a completely different thing than being able to look at uh, popular indie games that have already been reviewed and, you know, put, pushing them to to a, a greater light. No, I get it. But I just want to make it clear that if he's, you know, going to be helping develop games from the ground up, that's a much different task than getting a game that's semi-completed or closer to completion and helping it push it to the finish line. Well, that's... I don't think he's doing any developing. It's just publishing. Okay. That's what it says. Okay, so if he's going to help publish stuff, I guess I'd have to see him fail before I really kill him for for trying. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be awesome at it, but I want to see what he's going to do. Because he can throw money at something and then have a team of people finish something and not get directly involved, and that's still technically publishing. You can do that. It's it's just the guidance of 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 putting the people go nudging him in the right direction, so um, that's that's important uh, I, I think to uh, to delineate on that. But uh, but no, there's no guarantee just because he gets involved, it's going to be a hit. Absolutely not. Right. He, he he doesn't have the the knowledge to you know to to, to do it just because you played a lot of games. It's it's really simple to identify good and bad games. By, it's almost well, especially out. after they're out. Yes, yes. It, it, it's it's not a magic skill. No, it's not. It's not. Um, you're you're, you're not taking old ass games off. Like it's almost be like if if he was going to go back and find games that were already released, find like some sort of like quote unquote hidden gems, and then help them get get marketing, get them to be known. That could be something that already fully uh, fully fully finished and maybe quote unquote republished. That could be something. I don't know. But um, and you're doing a limited run sort of thing. Well, I, I just mean throw money and attention behind something because that's really what he's doing. When you're when he when this is a guy that he can go to any small company and say, "Hey, I got a, I got millions of followers. I play your game. A ton of people are going to know about it." So the marketing is baked in because he's a big influencer. Then it's just okay. Well, what else are you going to do logistically to help this game get out? What are you going to do? What what sort of support are you going to get? You know, do you have do you have um. Any other access to people to help? I, I got a T-shirt stuck underneath me. I'm sorry. Uh, here, it's bothering me. So that's the thing. So you, you see this being more of a disaster than me? I, I just will have to wait and see. But I... Or just more, you're more bearish on it. I'm more like neutral. I'm like, um, he might fuck up. He might do something. We'll see. Let's put it this way, though. 
after that, I'll just say this. The announcement video was a little pretentious. Yes. I will say that. And um, I would honestly, I would honestly, I don't see the advantage of announcing it. Like, why not just do it and say, hey, this game's coming out and I'm publishing it. Because it's all about attention. Okay, well, that's another, the argument to be made. But that's the thing. If I, if I was doing that, I would not be like, oh, this is the next big thing coming. But all these, like, fucking, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Films Dr. Kids. Douchebag. Dr. Films Kids in Bathrooms. Uh, you know, he he has the, this big game coming out. It's the biggest thing ever. And we see the first footage, and it's it's hot garbage so far. Right. So uh, what else is going on here? 50th anniversary of the Magnavox Odyssey. Five, we kind of missed this. A five and a zero. A five and a zero. That's a big one that we did not really cover. Yeah. Um, it's uh, They're doing a really nice... What's uh, the word I'm looking for? They're doing a nice. It's not a display. Mm-hmm. The fuck is what am I? What am I trying to say? Uh, exhibit. Exhibit. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! My brain. It's, I think it's in the URL. Exhibitions. It's there. Oh, shut up. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, an exhibit. They're doing a really nice exhibit at the Chicago Game Space, which is something I honestly didn't know about until we got this. Um, we got this article, and honestly, it sounds pretty fucking cool. The Chicago game space. I, w- I would, I would go visit. Yeah, I googled it, and I was like, I, was, I, I googled uh, Odyssey 50th anniversary, and this came up. So this is running till October 16th at the Chicago game space. Anyone in Chicago ever going here? I, it's a little. It's, a, I guess, another video game uh, museum that we didn't know about. So it'll have an original Odyssey and all the game components. Uh, from the Game Space Collection, a brief video interview with Odyssey inventor Ralph Baer, and gameplay documentation, and uh, Baer's 1966 patent design for a device to play video games on television. Um, I think it, it would be a cool exhibit to go see, uh, especially because with Odysseys, you you rarely have all the components and shit with it. The yeah. overlays and things like that. So it'd be nice to see that stuff. You need the overlays. Do they, they do look they, like they're in really good shape. Do they have too. the shooting gallery there? I mean, they don't want to have to show like a real a realistic looking rifle there. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't see that. Because to me, that's the coolest thing, having the light gun thing on it. Right. You know, early, early, was, that the, was that the first light gun? It must have been one of them. That must have came out like a year after, like 73 or so, the, the shooting rifle. Um, there was a link I found that, that Frank Cifaldi tweeted out about going more into the back history of Ralph and his assistants putting together the ideas and the sketchings and the ideas of what this was going to be functionally. It was an interesting article. I, I wanted to comment in a little bit, uh, but I don't, I don't have access to the link. But it was interesting because there, there was some speculation in the article about what Ralph did versus the assistants, about the ideas that maybe, you know, Ralph was the tech guy, but maybe he didn't have all the ideas about what a game could actually look like. And that's what the assistants sort of maybe helped nudge him about what, what, what can you actually do. Think about this. If you have no idea what a video game is, Trying to think about what it can do on a screen, with manipulating you know pixels and what you can do. Right. So that's basically what they were doing for years, trying to figure this out. But Ralph, but Ralph came up with that with the good old RF technology to basically interfere with the signal to, you know, to, to have the the signal override the TV from the console. Right. That was the big deal. That's what was the, the patent. That's what he still, I think, was getting paid out through through like I guess until the '80s somehow because like that was the technology that was like the game changer. I was like, we're going to have something interface with the TV from another object. Like, that's a giant part of it, obviously. And then, obviously, you get into manipulating stuff on screen. That's all the conversation with that. But, yay, Odyssey. Woo! It's always an Odyssey at UltimateNintendo.com. It's always an Odyssey. You're going to encounter lots of things in your path to, to get through, like uh, <laughs> like enamel pins, RBI baseball stickers, uh, the limited T-shirts. 
on sale for ten dollars each. Uh, we got the certain NES and NES, uh, NES and NES, NES and Super Nintendo guidebooks, and more, and stickers, stickers at ultimatenintendo.com. You can get your Danny approved, Danny, the CU podcast stickers, the limited stickers on there, and then Pat and Frank stickers are there too. I'll be on Twitch Wednesday night, always a day after, always a day after we record the podcast, twitch.tv slash country code. And then we'll be at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Retro Gaming so Expo. soon. So soon. I'm very, very excited. What, what's the dates on that, Ian? October 14th. 14th, 15th, and 16th. Well, Friday we'll be setting up. But oh, so. <laughs> well, no, Friday is the arcade day. Oh, but we'll be there the 15th and 16th. Yes, I mean, we'll be there. But yeah. I mean, the, the whole event starts on Friday sure. with the arcade stuff. Absolutely. And then I'm on Cameo, cameo.com slash Pat Contry. I check it every once in a while because sometimes I don't uh, look to see what's going on there. Uh, but those are those are far less than what they used to be. Unfortunately for Pat, you don't want to get a cameo anymore from me. Uh, uh. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape... You can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Anyway, um, we have another Web3 console in the world. Uh, so you remember us talking about the Polium a few months back, and they're sure. still plugging away online saying that they're going to have this console ready. Uh, well, this one is called the Zalika console. Uh, this is coming from VentureBeat and Jason McMaster. Uh, blockchain company Zalika is announcing the launch of its Web3-based console featuring first-party games from Zalika, a Web3 wallet, and minting utilities, mining utilities. The console is designed for the crypto-minded. The overall goal of the device is to enable players to play games while mining Zill tokens. I mean, just that paragraph, you read it, and it's like, it's, it's, it's a job. They're not like... <laughs> it just makes them money and maybe you a small amount of money, but it's all going to crash and burn anyways. Uh, I will say this. I don't the think... The Zill token? What is it? The Zill token? What is Zill it? tokens. Yeah, well, mining Zill tokens. Um, so that'll be built in, baked into the experience of the games, I guess, some way. Well, yeah, that's all, that's all blockchain crypto gaming. It's all earning money. It's not a fucking game. It's a job. There's always going to be one best way to do it, and you're just going to do that over and over again and make your money. It's not fucking gaming. It's a or, job. Or you become the, the pit boss of other people to do the work for you. Right. I got the land. I'm leasing you in the land to farm your own shit that you turn into this token that can be turned into money. And hopefully the fucking token doesn't crash because the ecosystem will crash as soon as the token value drops. And that's what all these happens with all these. Apparently, the gaming hub will enter its early access beta testing in October. So, you, uh, you know, in just a week or so, they got a console. At least they got a. Yeah. Product. I mean, they got, they got that far. This is a re- this is a real like blockchain company. They work on other shit. Right. This so does do look wallets. like that's not a render. I don't think no. that looks like a real deal console, which is one step further than Polium, but it is still to be ridiculed and laughed at. <laughs> it's, you said that like a news person. It's still to be ridiculed. And <laughs> laughed at now weather with pam with weather yeah now pam with weather <laughs> uh so launching it with two they're launching with two Z- zalika shit 
Zalitka games. Why do all why do all these <laughs> console names are diseases? Yeah, what, Zalitka and polio. Like, why are these all like exotic Sounds diseases? Like things that we've had vaccines for. Yes, what's happening here? <laughs> They're going to pre-order in. Que- <laughs> they're going to pre-order in quarter one of 2023. About two years too late, but hey, what are you going to do? Even a year too late. Yeah, we'll just say the first quarter of this year was the last hurrah for NFTs, probably right. About six months ago. Yeah, the people are like, you know, oh, Starbucks is going to get people interested in them again. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> Fucking Christ. Um, we have an update. Uh oh, we do. Also tonight, an update. Um, so, the GTA Six hacker was arrested it was a 17 year old in london yeah crazy london police say the teenager was arrested as part of an investigation by the uk's cyber crime unit zach zuizen reports from kotaku on this uh they announced they arrested a 17 year old from oxfordshire thursday morning While, while the police have yet to confirm why it's been reported that the teen was arrested in connection with the recent uber and gta 6 leaks i'm not familiar with what the uber leaks were I'll look that up. I'll look that up. Ooh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not certain what that is either. But I remember hearing about it only because they mentioned it um, when the story broke, uh, because the hacker was actually well, at 17, not smart enough to not be like I did the Uber leaks as oh, well. Like no. they they took credit for it. Um, so it looked like it was a bunch of confidential files that were pulled. Uh, that said, like Uber broke laws, duped police, and secretly lobbied governments. The leak reveals 124,000 confidential documents were leaked. Holy shit! So, a treasure trove. This person got this teen. teen? I guess it's the same person, the same kid. Yeah. Okay, so that was that, and this is this. Um, the leaked documents pulled back the curtain on the methods Uber used to lay the foundations for its empire. There's a whole series about that with Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. That came out about the Uber founder, like trying to, you know, like going after cities and making sure that the, everything was cool, you know, things like that, greasing the wheels and thing, you know, things of that nature. Uh, yeah, it's a whole empire. So, all right. So he'll do some prison time, then they'll maybe they'll white hat him. They'll get get him on board. To, yeah, to cybersecurity. Yeah, I mean that's I. Hopefully, try to turn that kid's life around. But uh, he's going to do some time. Uh, there's some E3 bullshit. Oh, yeah, he's definitely going to do something. Yeah. Some E3 bullshit. Uh, this is just, I, I hate this. I hate this. Uh, E3 is coming back in 2023. Uh, the gaming industry event looks to rekindle its old in-person magic June 13th through 16th. Oh, boy. That's what it says. Uh, this is from CNET. Uh, Sean Keane, uh, reporting on this. The, uh, <laughs> and they said that they want to reunite the gaming industry, just like the most stupid, fluffy, nothing words. What does reunite the gaming industry mean? Um, they are bringing back the separate days. They're bringing back press only days uh, that will run from uh, what they say. So industry people and media Sunday, June 11th is when it kicks off. E3 business days are for industry, media, and people. Those will happen Tuesday, June 13th to Thursday, June 15th. The business and media elements will be in separate parts. Uh, Members of the public will be able to have their public tickets June 15th and Friday, June 16th. And all I have to say about this is I just don't think this is going to work. Reunite the games industry means fucking nothing in a world with the internet. And... Uh, once again, we have just outgrown the use for something like E3. 
Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, all do their own events. Ubisoft. Ubisoft. All do their own events EA. with their own announcements. And, um, you know, that's the most important stuff is really the console, the manufacturers detailing what's coming mm-hmm. to their consoles. We're kind, it, it, we don't need these big Ubisoft showcases anymore. We, we don't, we also don't have the need for, uh, this to happen as we've talked about many times there's no reason for this to happen at one specific time of the year just because Mm -hmm. we've talked about the business realities of the past where you want to push this shit in june so you can have it on the shelves by christmas you know there was a marketing reason there too Mm -hmm. you know you you want to get all this news out and have all your stuff ready for the holiday season um but anyone can do those announcements at any time Nintendo was honestly one of the first companies to really realize how pointless E3 was years and years and years ago when they stopped doing, uh, you know, a, a big, uh, you know, um, the Nokia, presentation. The Nokia Theater presentation. Yeah, they, they stopped Nokia doing the, the presentation. The one where I saw the Wii U uh, announced in 2012. Yeah. They, they, just, they 11, don't need to 11. do it. The, the directs I, handle everything. I went to how many E3s in a row? Three or four for RetroWare. I went to 11, I went to 12, and I think I went to 13. Yeah, I went to three in a row. Um, do you feel special going to E3? I'm thinking 12 years ago. Do you feel special? You feel like it's cool to go back then. I mean, this is 12 years it was, ago. It was much cooler. Like in, um, the, in the late 90s and throughout the 2000s, that was where people wanted to be. Everyone wanted to win a ticket to go to E3. This is the first time, you know, you know yeah, we, we, we sampled the, the Wii U before it came out. Right. That was cool. A very rudimentary Wii U. Very rudimentary. Uh, you know, like it, it was like tech demo stuff, but I was like, oh, we're figuring this stuff out. Um, but it, you're still dealing with massive, massive lines. Like, I mean, we went, we would, it was a four, it's four day event, E3, right? Thur- Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday, Sunday. We didn't, it was four or five days sometimes. I think it was five days. No, excuse me. It's like Tuesday to like Friday or Saturday. It's, it's it's not to Sunday. It's like it goes to like Saturday or whatever. It's going to be six days next year. Well, that's insane. First of all, because I thought that was the normal. I thought uh, it started on Sunday and ended on Friday. I thought that's well, how it. Well, usually they'd have just the, the they'd have just like the, the 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 first day or two was just like the they used to have the theater events. Then they'd open the floor up. I thought after that. But anyway, so the the floor would be open for like three days. We would only check out the big booths on the last day because by then a lot of the people left. They they already saw this shit. Because otherwise, you'd be waiting for four hours to try something. You'd wait for sure. hours, right? Um, some of the stuff, I, like I remember the, the remember the Alien versus Predator game that came out around 2013 or whatever, the multiplayer one. Um, oh, yeah, that rough one. I think that was a little bit earlier. But, but we played against the devs and got our ass, asses kicked. It, sure. it was it was um, uh, Space Marines versus the Aliens, whatever the hell it was. Um, so that was cool. That wasn't waiting more than like 45 minutes. But if you wanted to play like the Wii U stuff. Or if you wanted to play whatever the, the latest uh, big, not like the big title stuff for like for like Sony on the first days, you're waiting hours. You're waiting hours. You're just sitting there, and you're and you know when it was media only, I guess it wasn't a big of deal. But I I guess there were some people that wouldn't mind spending hundreds of dollars to wait hours to sample something for five minutes. But that's what it is. I just think I don't know. It's not. It wasn't as big as what it was cool to go. I'm not saying it was shitty. I'm not. I'm not trying to be all hipster about it. It wasn't. It wasn't uncool but i think yeah, people can you, enjoy it I, I mean i never went because i hate fucking crowds i well, had the chance i had the chance to go like every year i worked at luna but i just i didn't i didn't feel the need to do it 
that's the thing. And, and not that I want to get, uh, you know, COVID deniers in the comments or whatever, but, or, or, but like, we're still in a pandemic. Like we still have multiple thousands of people dying every year in the U S from this shit. I think it's like 3000 or 3500 every week that are still dying from this. So it's not like we are, some people are saying we're back to normal. We're not back to normal. We we're, we're pretending we are, we are not. And I, and hopefully by June we are, but like, this is a huge event that's going to be gathering. And so, you know, so it, it, to celebrate reuniting everything, it's like, the, it's a, it's a trade show. It's not, it's, right. We're not, we're not sharing ice cream cake. Well, this it, isn't it, even like a, a convention, like a MAGFest no. or a Portland where people get together and have fun together. This is, I mean, can. you do get some of that, but it, uh, it's not its intended purpose. No, it's not the intended pur- purpose. It's to advertise new products coming out. Right. That, that's, that's what exactly. It's let's, let's, let's stop pretending that it's, you know, this feel good celebration of gaming. And, and they invite like influencers out for some stuff. Maybe there's all like the parties and shit that used to happen. You know, you, you get like the invites. Right? Where's where's the Ubisoft parties? You get invited to that shit. They used to do that. I don't know if they, they probably don't spend that amount of money that amount of money anymore. But that's what it used to be. It was the OG schmoozing people in person with drinks and you know things like that and, and free food. I don't think that happens anymore. No, so not so much. It is what it is. This CU podcast segment is brought to you by Into the A. M. They have premium, high-quality apparel, including nice graphic tees, basic tees, hoodies, and even stuff like boxer briefs. You're wearing the stare-down shirt, Ian. Look at that. I sure am. Nice yeah. anime-looking thing. I've also got the moon buggy shirt here. And I'm wearing the high tide with the waves going on. And that's a fancy one. And then I also have the overseer, in case you want to get abducted, right there. You're outside there in your tent getting abducted. And then I have the Lost Signal tee, which is a CRT TV from the 80s. And they have a lot of nice 80s sort of style designs that are nice. So if you're into the retro sort of theme, you can check that out right there. Yeah, these are super comfortable t-shirts, and there are different collections and themes, so there's something for everyone. They have space-themed shirts, animal themes, nature, uh, you know, spookier, like skulls sort of themes, and uh, like shirts that are good for festivals. Yeah, and the shirts are very soft, they're pre-shrunk, they're tailored fit, and they use eco-friendly inks. And they're running a bundle deal right now for the graphic tees, which are three for $60, and they also have three basic tees for $50. So click the link in the description on YouTube, or if you're a podcast listener, use code C-O-N-T-R-I country, and you'll get 10% off these very comfortable shirts and gear. Go look good and feel good with Into the AM. All right, Ian. Yes. Um, this was alerted on, on Twitter, uh, this story, um, that a, a super... NES dev kit was coming up for auction. Ah, uh, yes. So, yeah, the announcement was, you know, that there was that dev kit coming out, and that led to links of a bunch of other video game-related uh, memorabilia and stuff being sold uh, in L.A. Uh, there was the Super NES dev kit. There's lots of Pong clones. There's Famicom systems. Um, and, you know, it, that initially captured the public's attention because the Super NES dev kits... You don't see them very much. And also, I think it's because uh, the starting bid for it is a fairly astronomical uh, $20,000. Um, and from what we've heard, uh, it's not probably not worth $20,000. It's hard. To, it's hard to price out dev kits. But right. from my knowledge and historical 
thinking about it. They, who, is, who is our man? Uh, who is our man behind the scenes who told us that like without the software and stuff like Kev that? Trish. Oh uh, yeah, I, yeah uh, I know. I was just yeah. Kevtrish is not sure that this is a, you know that this is totally usable at this point in time. You need to use it on an old computer. You need the dev software. Uh, to use this as well, right? So it's probably so, not built into this. I don't it would I, be separate software, I maybe. I don't. Know. We don't know. I don't know. But this was obviously, you know, given out to developers to make Super Nintendo games. It says Super NES Emulator SE. Um, so, so in my in the past, um, you see these come up. I think uh, like Dreamcast ones, PlayStation ones. They would go for probably four figures, but lower for figures they go for probably low thousands something like that uh, just from my perspective sure uh, on these because there's not a huge amount you can do with these um by and large i think people would probably get some of them because there might be some maybe game builds on them to dump in the past potentially I mean, other than yeah. that it's just um, an interesting piece of history yeah. but what, it's, a, it's a display piece i think it's humorous that to me it looks like an xbox series x yeah it's a cube yeah it's, <laughs> it's like a giant it's a ta- it's, it's a it's a t- it's a tower it's like a computer tower. So this is being auctioned off from Van Eaton Galleries, which is a weird auction house. They're in Southern California. Uh, they, they do like celebrity stuff. They do animation art on the website. Like I, this is not something you would expect to see something like this come up. So why, so why is this being auctioned and you know, what's going on here? Well, some people surmise based upon uh, the listing. This is the listing. This particular unit was used to create the audio for game franchises such as Earthworm Jim, Madden Football, Cool Spot, Jungle Book, Chuck Rock, and Jim Lee's Wildcats. So people surmised, wow, what what does what the, the audio have in common for those games? That's Tommy Tallarico. This, this is Tommy Tallarico's Super NES dev kit. It's his. Um, he's the one auctioning it off uh, here. And this was confirmed that he, he showed this exact unit in his My Retro Video Game Collection video from November of 2020, and it has the same exact markings. Not that there's a lot of these around to begin with, probably, anyway, because they're supposed to go back to Nintendo, uh, th- these uh, th- these dev kits, which is a whole other different conversation. I'm not going to get into the legality of owning something. I don't this. give a shit about the legality. Care. I mean, honestly, uh, we I don't, don't like Tommy, but, but if someone else owned it, we'd think it was cool. So yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't no, really th- care. No, we think it was cool. It's fine. Absolutely. But this is, but this is Tommy Tallarico's, the former... CEO uh, uh, of Intellivision Entertainment, the current president still, and it has the same exact markings on it uh, here. Uh, he's talking about it in his video here. It's, it's his. And the fact that it's Southern California. Uh, but it's weird to go through something like Van Eaton Galleries because I don't know if that's the audience for something like this, like the typical person that's going on to buy uh, you know, some sort of art, fine art they have. They have animation art. Uh, it seems like this is not in their wheelhouse. For something like this, they have. I'm looking at some of their auctions. Ian, they have stuff like in the past. They have a Hanna Barbera auction. They have a Mad Monster Party movie art show tribute. They have a Disneyland auction. Uh, they have a Pet Portrait Day for the Beagle Freedom Project going back in time. Uh, that's from Disneyland, the Richard Kraft collection. Uh, they have all this Disney and, and like art stuff. This they don't have video game stuff. So it's a weird venue to auction it off in general. Because it has to get to send it out to people. This isn't like people on eBay having save searches and go, oh, dev kit. And it comes up, I'm emailed. This is something you'd have to be looking at this yeah. at this uh, auction house. And this is not stuff they typically do uh, here. Um, there's other stuff being auctioned off that people have surmised is... Do you want to talk about the, we talked about the price a little bit, right? $20,000. Oh, yeah, we did. We, we talked about that. It's insane. That's what, makes, what I was going to bring up What's next, more? But... What's more insane is this. Is that there's a 21% buyer's premium on top of all this stuff. 
21%, which means that if you're going to go for this, uh, you're looking at $24,000 on this, starting. Starting on it, which is nuts uh, for that. And I'm not saying someone's not going to bid on this. I have no idea what the dev kit com- uh, collecting community is. But that's that starting bid is going to throw off a lot of interest from the start. That's just my opinion. Sure. Versus starting at like 3000 4000 5000 and seeing what happens. Sorry, what were you saying? Nothing. I was just saying that in addition to that stuff, there was also, there's like, uh, for instance, just speaking of pricing and in the, in the high prices, there's a uh, collection of, Od- uh, not Odyssey, like uh, 15 rare game consoles in one cassette. Uh, basically, these are all um, Pong clones. Uh, some of these are ones that I've never seen, but the starting price of $5,000 or $2,500 is pretty insane it's nuts it, okay. uh, pong clones don't generally and, and and even the weird ones uh at least in my time at luna and if something changed someone can correct me these don't go for anything they don't they don't sell at conventions um i i, I don't think i've there i'm not saying they're not out there because i used to compile some of these and i still have a lot i don't think in my days i've ever met someone that that was like a huge pong clone collector that like Hey, I'm into buying all of these. They might exist. I just never, never met them. Um, so, the, so with the buyer's premium, that would be you're looking at what a pat math. You're looking at twenty percent. That's three thousand dollars starting. Three thousand dollars about. Um, if you look up what, what like what's the recognized? There's Super Pong on here. That's one of the more famous ones because that's Atari Super Pong um, console. What would that even go for? And, and these don't have the boxes. Uh, okay, they, they they can't move at fifty dollars or best offer for a super super pong. That's a there is a term. boxed color game. Uh, was color game the Nintendo one? No, this is English. Never mind. That's a generic one. Okay, yeah. Um, let's see, pong color game. That's the box. What's the cassette? What was the cassette? I'm not sure what the cassette is. All right, so the the the, the color game. Someone's trying to get one hundred and seventy five. Trying to, trying to get one hundred and seventy five. Um. I can't find any completed auctions for that color game. So here's the point. If I had to ballpark this, Ian, uh-huh. uh, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. There's about 15 consoles here, including the Bentley CompuVision. Um, this would have to be, you have to justify $200 each to get the 3000 starting bid on that. I don't see, see that as a thing. No. I'd say $100 each is, is even uh, in it. An inexorbitant price for something like that. Uh, a, a Bentley CompuVision. Uh, these have cute little boxes. Uh, Thirty-five bucks in the box. Okay, I thought that was going to hit a hundred. Those are those are worthless. Those are worthless. So I think the average price of all this stuff would be fifty dollars each. I think the average. This this is like this is like six hundred dollars worth of stuff, in my opinion. So that begs the question: Why is the price? Why is the starting price so high? Why is the starting bid so high? And who sets it? Did, did Van Eaton Galleries, who deals in fine art and animation, set it? Or did Tommy Tallarico set the prices of these auctions to these in, insane amounts? I will be shocked if this gets a bid on it. I'll be shocked. Sure. Absolutely shocked. Because I, just looking at a couple of these, I think I own, I own that TV game. I, I, own, I own that Telesports game one in the box, for example. Telesports, Pong, in the box. I'll be shocked if it's $50. Uh, can't find one for sale. Uh, I'm sorry, Ian. Uh, $24 a best offer in the box. 
Yeah, I was looking are, up a Soundic one. Yeah, these I, I'm not. Are, I'm, I am not finding anything that goes higher than because I, I I'm always I I always think there's got to be one one Pong console out there that's worth something. But, but I why never, would it be though? Because there's a thousand of them. That's the thing. Like, why would they sure. be? That's the argument. How about that Granada one? Granada one. Uh, Granada Pong. I can't find it. I cannot find one there. Um, I found a Granada Williams pinball kit from '72. So that's an insane amount. So I, I guess, um, you know, Tommy needs cash, and that's why this stuff's coming up uh, for sale. The I don't think there's going to be a bid on. Uh, neither will the um, the Nintendo. Uh, there's uh, there's a Game and Watch Super Mario Brothers VGA 95 mint uncirculated for two hundred dollars. I mean, those don't go, go for two hundred dollars, and it just has grading on it. That's just a weird thing. I'm going to guess that's Tommy's as well because the rest are here. Uh, then there's the Famicom console accessories and game collection lot, lot 480, with a minimum bid of $5,000. You would know more about this than I would. Which would be Pat Math, 20%, $6,000, excuse me, 21%. They had to put an extra 1% on, which bothers me. Because I think 20%. Like th- that is, is really, really annoying. That is really uh, chapping your ass. Because in, cause in theory, because I, I think 20% is way too high, high for auction houses to take. I think that's unreasonable in a lot of these cases. I think there should be a cap on some of these, or at least a minimum, and then it caps. But that's nuts. So for $6,000, Ian, you get the following. Uh, you get a, you get two twin Famicoms, which are the dual. There was the ones that came out after both were out. It's, it's like the Turbo Duo. They're so this. cool looking. You, you get I the, love them. You get the cartridges, and you get the Famicom disc as well. Two of those, you get a boxed family basic keyboard. You get a boxed data recorder. You get a boxed Famicom. You get a box disc system. You get the boxed uh, Rob, which comes with the jar of my stuff, and you get, you get the box stack up thing. I looked up some of these. I'll look up a couple more here. Um, something like that the keyboard goes for, you can get the keyboard for under $150 with the box. Oh, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to freaking list these. I'm going to do it on my phone. If you want to price out some of these and help me, maybe that's the way to go on this. We're going to price them out. We're going to price them out. I'll put 150 for the keyboard uh, there. Um, I priced out the, I priced out the, the ro- Famicom uh, robot shit was about a hundred or put 120 about um the stack up thing i believe was about a hundred uh i'll be generous on some of these do you want to look at the data recorder for me the famicom data recorder yeah because that one i don't know off the top of my head uh and i'll look up the famicom console it would probably be 150 for the famicom oh no it's nothing it's about uh i'll, I'll be generous on that uh I'll, I'll put i'll put 200 for both of them combined for the for the console and for the disc. box complete, someone's asking oh, so. for three ten on the data recorder. There's a okay. loose one. People are asking one seventy four. Uh, Another that, one that, for two hundred and six in the box. Two hundred? No, that's loose. I'll put three hundred. I'll be generous. So we're up to, we're up to nine twenty. And what's left? I did I did both I did both the disc system and the regular one. What do we got left there, Ian? What do we got left that I haven't uh, accounted for? Uh, I think that's it. Um, that's about it. And then the games F one race, uh, Subasa. And baseball. I'll guess those are fifty dollars total, unless you look up. Uh, Sub- uh, I'll look up the uh, the yeah the the Tecmo soccer game uh, Arabic version. I'm struggling to get to one thousand dollars. Is my point? Sure. I am struggling, and I was generous on a couple of these. I'll if you want to say I'm crazy, Pat. The data recorder. I'll put it on another two hundred dollars. I'll say this is twelve hundred dollars worth of stuff. I'll say it's twelve hundred dollars worth of stuff. 
Because the Twin Famicoms, yeah, I forgot the Twin Famicoms. The Twin Famicoms, all I did put those, the Twin Famicoms are about 120 bucks each. This is like, uh, I'll say $1,300 worth of stuff. And, 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 and either the auction house or Tommy recommended they ask $5,000 for this stuff. That is nuts. That's nuts. This is, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a big deal of this, but this is, this is someone that has no, either no, re, no awareness of the value of this stuff or really is hoping that some, some moron that is into fine art sees this auction and is like, well, this must be worth at least 5000 because it's listed. I'm going to hit the, the, the bid on it. Like, it makes no sense for this stuff to be priced out like four times what it actually is worth as a starting bid. It makes no sense. What, uh, what's that? So that Arabic version Subasa, I, I don't. I think that's a. Uh, that's. I think that's a, a bootleg. A, I think that's a ROM patch. Yeah, that's a ROM patch cart being sold physically. Oh, you're right. Look at the cheap. Yeah, cheap it yellow. Look, it doesn't look anything. That's like a bootleg. A yeah, it's a bootleg. There's a bootleg here, it's a trans, Tommy. It's a translated bootleg. Oh, come on. Yeah, because there's no information or anything on it. That's clearly a bootleg. It's a. It's a cheap. The cheap yellow ones you see yeah. for sale sometimes. And then F1 race that that's actually kind of an interesting one to look at F1 race uh, Famicom disc. Uh, I'm at thirteen hundred dollars. I'm at thirteen hundred dollars on this stuff. The F1 race is twenty bucks, thirty bucks maybe. No, twelve dollars. It's cheap. These are okay. This is this is twelve. So, Ian, do you have any thoughts about why it'll be so wildly overpriced to start? Like, I just don't understand it. Well, I I, I uh, think it just I, I think there is possible it's possible that there is something with the uh, auction house. Uh, I think people tend to look at sets of video games and the people who this might be sold to because this is not a website that is known for video game auctions. I think they might get people that look at some, a, a nice boxed collection of something and just assume that it's worth the asking price. You can get away with a lot of that. There's a couple more here. There's a couple more. Uh, there's an Atari lot Ian lot. Um, four four seventy nine mm-hmm. is on there. Uh, and there's also an Odyssey set. The Odyssey set I'll talk about is interesting. This one, this one, I don't have to. I don't need to go on eBay to price this one, Ian. I don't know if you see it. Four seventy nine. If you want to search for Atari, and it'll come up. This is an Atari seventy eight hundred in the box. An Atari twenty six hundred for Switch. And an Atari Twenty Six Hundred uh, Junior, the silver small one, an Atari XE, four Atari computer games, an Atari Seventy Eight Hundred loose. Excuse me, Atari three Atari Seventy Hundred games, and then you have um, it looks like uh, is that a Fifty Two Hundred there? So yes. Ian, no. So what do you think that should be worth? Without like, what do you think that would be worth if you were at Luna selling an Atari XE, an Atari Twenty Six Hundred? Seven Atari games, um, and an Atari Twenty Six Hundred uh, Junior. Like, what would that go for? I, I mean, I would tell them that honestly, they would probably be better off putting it on eBay or Craigslist without the ability to really accurately test all of these systems. I wouldn't be willing to pay a whole lot of money for them to begin with. Plus, it would take forever for them to sell. I would probably, and if they like forced me to offer them some money, I, I mean. You'd offer them like two fifty and sell it for five hundred, maybe. I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm just being honest. I probably wouldn't want it bad enough to offer more than one. What would you? I, 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 would, I wouldn't want it. 
and I would retail it for probably 60 each on the Atari, the 2600, and the the juniors would probably be close to 100. The 7800 would probably be 50 to 60. And the the, box? Okay. the uh, Atari, is that an XE? Yeah, they're right. Uh, with the gun and everything. Maybe 150 I, maybe? Uh, maybe 150. So this is $500 worth of stuff. Sure, yeah. Uh, the starting base, $2,500 on this stuff. $2,500. $2,500. There's nothing special about it. Oh, oh, there's a Jack's Pacific 2002 plug-and-play on top. Besides the 7800 in the box, which, I mean, that's interesting in the box, I oh, guess. I mean, yeah, w- uh, in the box it would be more than 50, but a 7800 yeah, is not worth much. No, yeah. no. Um, that's nuts. The only interesting one to me is uh, is the Odyssey one four seventy eight because I think there's something signed by Ralph Bear on, on here. You have an original Manda Box Odyssey uh, in the box. You have the Odyssey uh, uh, Pong clones. They came out before the Pong, but you have the two hundred in the box, the two thousand. I think I own both of those. You have the five hundred. You have um, an Odyssey two loose. You have the shooting gallery in the box, and you have that reg. Red Odyssey uh, uh, clone or Red Odyssey unit what has the, the three on each side. You ever see this one? Mm. You see this one before, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I might own it. I might own it. Um, so this one is interesting because it's all earlier-ish, like early to mid-70s Odyssey stuff. Besides Odyssey 2, was, was, that, was, that was like, what, 80 or is it 79, 80? Um, is there anything signed here by Ralph Bear? The Odyssey 2 is signed by Ralph Bear. Okay. Even though I don't know why he would sign the Odyssey 2. When he wasn't working on it. I don't think he worked on that one that much. I have no idea. But anyway, so this is interesting stuff just because a boxed Odyssey is not something you see every day, but this stuff still can be found. Uh, Odyssey 1972 box. I'm actually interested to know know what these actually go for because I've been so out of it. Okay, they are 600 or best offer. On those, so we'll just say that's worth five hundred dollars, and the uh, the shooting gallery probably goes for two hundred dollars, but I'm not positive. Uh, okay, someone's trying to get fourteen hundred dollars for a shooting gallery. That's not happening. No one cares. Oh, that includes the, that includes a box one. I'll say the shooting gallery is worth two hundred and fifty dollars, um, and then the and then the, the Odyssey two is worth uh, with Ralph Bear signature. I don't know. That's what up to you. I'll say three four hundred dollars and then the clones are worth garbage this ian is a, a maybe i would say a thousand dollars worth of stuff but the starting bid is twenty five hundred dollars on it but this is the only one that's interesting because it has a ralph bear signature that's that's the only thing interesting but it's not on the original odyssey which is weird that's the only thing so maybe they ran, maybe maybe tommy ran into ralph at a convention or met him once said hey i have an odyssey two for you to sign and do that you'd want him to sign the original odyssey that's what i want him to, uh, to sign so that's in poor but displayable condition. The sign Odyssey, according to this. Um, so, so you have you have about five auctions with pie in the sky, unrealistic prices on these. I mean, I'm flabbergasted. I thought that one of these would come at least to fifty percent of the value underneath and be like okay, but not like twenty percent of the values on some of these. Um, and then also, um, it was kind of shocking to see for sale since Tommy is a huge Spider-Man fan. Uh, two things in particular, you have the um, Spider-Man combo collection. He used to brag it was the biggest Spider-Man collection, I think, because it was like um, multiple, uh, what is it, multiple thousands of comics. 
So you have the run of Spider-Man 1 to 125 on here. You have the Web of Spider-Man uh, run. You have other stuff on here. The, the starting bid is 200000 on that. What's interesting to me to see something like that is that um, you you would get a bidder on that if if you had a very detailed list of all these comics and what the conditions were. That's the only way you can get uh, any close to approximation of value on a comic set like this. So like the Amazing Fantasy uh, 15, the first Spider-Man appearance, is a 7.0, which is a great grade, but it's a restored grade. Mm-hmm. And the same for the first Spider-Man one. Uh, but someone, if, if someone was going to buy these, they'd have to know, are these graded? Which ones are graded and what's the grades? And looking at the, the lot, it doesn't look like most of them are graded. So to me, that could be pie in the sky as well. I mean, I'm going to look up Amazing Fantasy 7.0 uh, just to see what it, what it goes for. But what it goes for uh, restored. Because restored are never close to the, the amount of a, a, a non-restored comic that's a problem mm-hmm. that's a problem uh yeah so a 7.0 uh unrestored universal grade someone's trying to get um 175,000 for it i i have no idea what a restored would go for like an, an open auction so less a lot, a lot less i don't know if it's 50 percent less 25 yeah, percent less i don't know no idea and then finally we have the um spider-man life-size statue that was in tommy's uh, spider-man cave for sale there so you have that there too. So all right, well that's a lot of auctions, a lot of stuff. Uh, I hope I hope Tommy makes some money. Uh, he's obviously needed some in need. It looks like if all this stuff from his collection is going, I guess we'll check back in ten days to see what these end at. And do you think, honestly, gun to your head, any of these uh, video game auctions will, will be bid on and won by an actual person? I can't say anything really necessarily about the Super Nintendo dev kit. I don't I don't think so, and I definitely don't think so for the rest of it. I would say the dev kit, if there's a, a, a Nintendo collector has been looking for one of these for 10 years and can't find one, and say, fuck it, I want to pay 20 grand uh, for just a piece that'll just sit there. You really can't do much with it. Um, not for these other auctions for the Famicom stuff or the Odyssey or the Pong clothes. It's mostly, or the Atari stuff. It's not worth it. It's ridiculous. Ian, we have a, a Patreon, don't we? We have a Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash podcast, and, uh, you know, you take a look at what we offer. And if you enjoy what we offer, if you think you'd like to support us or perhaps get some extra stuff, uh, you know, uh, uh, part with some money. Uh, you get the uh, full video podcast. Mm-hmm. You get bonus bits, uh, bonus extra uh, extra podcast content, usually in the, the range of about 15 to 20 minutes, where we discuss a wide variety of topics. This morning we talked about astronaut ice cream space, uh, all sorts of things. We, we talked about astronaut ice cream space? Astronaut ice cream, comma, space. space. Oh, comma, space. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you get uh, to vote in these poll topics. You get a hangout uh, once a month. You can. There's a pin club, and I do writing about once a week. Yeah, you, you, you've been talking about your your Buffalo Bills experience a bit so yeah. far the past few weeks. In second place is grading or reselling worse for game collecting. Twenty four percent. And in a in a blow blowout here, uh, uh, Pat and Ian respond to the Carl and Mad Dog collection. A video where I am brought up. Uh, Ian will lead off. Of yeah. This, but- so basically, there was a after we recorded um, 
after we recorded last week, uh, there was a mediated discussion between Carl Jobst and Mad Dog, uh, mediated by what was his name? D Rob. It's D Rob. And uh, you know, basically to kind of try to come to an agreement and talk out the 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 drama and the situation. Because because Carl did a video attacking. Excuse me. Uh, Carl did a video. Going back, uh, talking about the collusion and, and then the heritage auctions, uh, buffoonery between them uh, and WADA. And then Mad Dog put a video early this year attacking Carl and attacking me, which we discussed last week. And this was a follow up to the Carl video then going back after Mad Dog. Correct. So on your way. Oh, that's all I had to say. Um, so it's interesting that this conversation happened, I think, just because. Uh, Carl gives, I think, this individual way too much credit um, for being someone that's going to come to the table with an honest discourse and for someone that's going to be, quote unquote, I guess, arguing or discussing in good faith. And um, and I had a conversation with Carl about most of the points I'm going to bring up with him uh, about him and the conversation discourse. But the first thing I, I said to Carl is that you you basically um, you're lowering yourself talking to someone like this to begin with. Because they are not going to be discussing anything in good faith. No, the, the, the video was not in good faith. I would not trust them to say anything in good faith. One thing that I will point out, and you're going to like start playing it, but the one before I forget it, the one thing that really stuck out to me was when uh, they asked Mad Dog about the um, we'll get the that. editing of the line. Oh yeah. Oh no, I have a lot to say. So uh, D. Robert Dave is the individual we've discussed. Like I said, super nice guy whenever I, I talked to him. He sold Nexus at uh, Long Island three years ago. He also appeared on Pawn Stars with the uh, the Sealed Atari games uh, a, a year and a half ago. Whenever oh, that right, was. right, right. Uh, mm -hmm. Same person. So we're going to go through this, and I, I have some thoughts. And he does. I'm a, it's about eight minutes of this. All right, here we go. There's a problem. Okay, so I was saying to this to Dave earlier. Um, it's totally fine if you want to um, talk about how valuable games are and it's great that games are becoming so valuable and stuff like that totally your choice but the public reaction to that is going to be negative like mm -hmm. almost always in my opinion i'm not i'm not sure I, I agree with carl about there's a negative reaction on surface to people talking about uh, expensive games i think there has to be a context to it because we, we've talked about sales uh, of games going back on the podcast years and years and i, I don't think people ever came after the fact that, you know, an NWC car was going for a lot of money or a Steam events. Uh, you always get people saying these games, these games shouldn't be that expensive. But it wasn't this, the same vitriolic reaction, uh, by and large, that you've gotten with a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Uh, I think part of it is, you know, with early game collecting and things being expensive, it was pretty easy to see the reasoning why the stuff was expensive. It was just based purely on rarity. Just purely on rarity, we weren't talking grade seals. We weren't, you know, talking, you know, necessarily a lot of variants. It was this game is expensive because this game is hard to find. End of story. People understood that. That was it. Or some historical basis tagged onto sure. it. Sure. For like, you know, NWC cards. Uh, sure, like sure, sure. Well, that also rarity though too. There. Sure. Um, and I think if you it depends who you, what your audience you want to appeal to, I guess. Um. So I think it's something to think about. For me, I think, and the whole idea of um, 
trying to distinguish between steeled collectors and, and not steeled collectors. I don't think that's going to be work out positively because I think it's creating more division. Uh, so, so this comment, I, I think, uh, goes back to when I, when I first heard this, I wasn't sure if he was referring to uh, the, the, the collective community creating a, a, a division or just focusing the fact that it's all, all, always existed. The fact that sealed game collector was always a niche of a niche to begin with. Going back to my experience on Atari Age in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Atari Age or Nintendo Age? Excuse me, Nintendo Age. Uh, my favorite website. Um, going back to Nintendo Age where I'd have arguments and discussions with people that were pushing for graded sealed game stuff way back then. They were pushing for it sure. and, and trying to pump it up. Uh, but it was it was such a small portion of even people on Nintendo Age. We're, we're talking... I'd be shocked if you told me it was if it was 30 individuals who were into the sealed. Yes. Like we're talking small, small amounts of people uh, that were back then. So I I will say this. It's a division uh, because it's an entirely different uh, different mindset about collecting them. And that's all I'll get into more is that uh, you you the people that are into exclusively sealed games. And I'll, I'll go back to exclusive. People are into exclusively sealed games. I think that's a pretty in, that's a that's a that's something you need to make sure you're saying though is is exclusively into sealed games. Yes, you own sealed stuff. You know, it's it's not it's not a crazy thing uh, to own sealed stuff. No, but it's the exclusivity of it's the exclusive. Collecting. It's a percentage. We'll just say anyone that owns like I don't know more than fifty uh, percent. Okay, you know? <laughs> I don't. Uh, let's not get into percentages. Because if you say I own sealed games, yeah, you know, I own like fifty games out of thousands. Yes, you know, it's like it's it's a happenstance versus it objective. Wasn't an, an insult. I'm no, no, I'm not thinking that's insult. why you have to differentiate. Sure. Where I think the message would be better be like, no, we are collectors too, and this is why. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I, like, I guess the sealed community of people that are, that first of all, have the money to buy sealed games. And then second of all, that are actually in the market to buy them. It's so small, such a niche market that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I personally, for my YouTube channel, uh, it was only for my, the Instagram community of video game, you know, collectors. It was not meant for your, you know, you have 700,000 followers. <laughs> so, 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 uh, Bad Dog, which I believe his real name is Garth. I like to call him by his real name to have some level of uh, decorum here. Um, his argument was that when he made the video, uh, that was just obviously deceitful, obviously misrepresenting, obviously lying, was that it was not for the consumption of the public outside of his baked in audience where he probably, you know, shows off his sealed game collection. That's what he's saying right now. Okay. Not even 1% of that is going to be collecting games. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that I, that's why I set my account to private. Like I have no interest in those, you know, in people that anyways, <laughs> that's all good. Now, I understand that I would probably do the same thing. Yeah. Um, I totally understand that. Um, but <laughs> what, what, your, what's your what's your thoughts though on what I said about With trying world. to create this distinction between sealed collectors and not? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I don't think that's again. I, I don't think that's necessarily a good strategy. My, so my whole point with uh, Pat Contry, um, my whole 
and, and you know, you're, by the way, you're where you basically rolled it back one sentence and it was like, holy crap, this guy is misleading, blah, blah, blah. Well, I are. didn't even know about that sentence until you pointed it out. Okay, so. pause. So that's that's the one thing in here that I actually have a, a, a just a big comment on is uh, you, you just admitted to not doing any sort of due diligence in your video. You grabbed a quote. Uh, did not bother to look into it, slapped it on there, and and represented it as as such. Um, you you can't explain that away. I mean, I, that's not an explanation. That's laziness. It's either willful ignorance. It's willful ignorance, or you're lying, and right. you knew what you were doing. Sure, I would argue he doesn't uh, have. <clears throat> he hasn't built up the cachet to, 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 in my eyes, to say this was an innocent mistake versus, no, I willfully misrepresented what Pat said by cutting up the clips the way I did. When you're editing, Ian, you have to look at the entire sentence well, structure the way I, and I, take the cuts. One, I yep. agree with you, but two, he, what he's saying is the clip existed. He saw the clip someplace else. Someone else must have used it, so he used the clip. Oh, no, I'm, he had to have downloaded that video. But yes. He downloaded my video. And, and, I'm and just, I agree. I'm just doubt. saying what he's saying sure. and what you're saying. And I'm saying what he's saying isn't true. I, 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 Why did you pull that clip from somewhere else or what? So I spent, I, I was really more into the editing of this video in a humorous way than. Uh, yeah, so know, there he admits it. Time watching Pat's videos. So for me, I spent more time photoshopping uh, Michael Jordan's jersey on that guy at the barbecue than I did. <laughs> video so to, to be frank when you when you rolled that you know yeah it makes it look like i'm misleading because you are what was the sentence, you didn't expect it to get the views that it did, did i guess what hey, what does that have to do with what anything? does it matter how many people watch it are you lying and misrepresenting or not right what does it matter if two people saw it or two thousand or twenty thousand are you being deceitful or not that's ridiculous. Yes. You're does. twisting my words and have me say things I never said uh, and cutting up things that it doesn't matter how many fucking people saw it. Right. And this is where I start to get annoyed. Yeah. It had 2000 views. I didn't think it'd be put. In That's a lot, though. I mean, I, it's more than my videos get. So, but uh but, you know, I still believe. Oh, so, yeah, only the 2000 people. So I can lie about someone else. That's fine. Yeah, that 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 that's, is that that that's it's a, disgusting. It's a, and and Carl, I wish called him out on that and said like, what is it? What does it matter? Yeah. What does it fucking matter? I how only lied to a small amount of people. I still stand by my point oh. that um, you know you referenced Pat as the as your expert in that video for for uh, sealed video games and just my. My whole point behind that is... He didn't reference me as an expert when it came to sealed video games. He referenced me as an expert in terms of the collecting as a whole. I never, I never said I was an expert on sealed game collecting. That was never stated anywhere that I was. But in terms of collecting as a whole, I'm probably regarded as such as someone who's been in it for 25 years. And that's why you know, he reached out to me originally to ask what was up you know, with some of these insane game prices. And, 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 it, was, and it was just common sense. He could have asked anyone else about it. You know, at one point, let's say in the 1960s, there were guys that owned an Action Comics one, and they were upset when it, you know, hit a hundred dollars. Um, I'm saying to interview that person when a 3.5 million dollar sale happens, to interview the guy that was upset when they were worth a hundred dollars. This is a lie. This is a misrepresentation and a fucking lie. He's trying to make the argument, and I wish there was pushback that I'm a person that ever got pissed off 
that retro games went up in value. That's what he's saying. He's saying that I'm a guy that always said or, or said that, oh, this this uh, this game should always have been only $50. And that's never been my stance. Well, that's I ne- usually the straw man argument people have been uh, used. I've always used. I've never set, said anything negative about game prices going up if I thought it was a naturally organic occurring thing it was, and if it was not being market manipulated. Always. That's such a blatant lie. Such... I should if had I known this conversation was going to go this way, I would have wished I was asked to be on it. Would you have want to be on it if you were being represented like this? No, sure. I'm a guy that wishes a hundred dollar comic from the '60s never went up in value just because I'm a I'm a lunatic. Like what the fuck? Yes, he's a collector just the same, but he's the wrong guy to get advice on a three point five million dollar market. Was that? Why would I be? Like, why would I be? I can comment on something, a uh, $50,000 game, not a million-dollar game. It's the same games that have existed. Oh, my God. My mm-hmm. point, you know? And well, so, I agree with that. Uh, guys in the room, stop I, fighting, please. I, I, if, you, if you actually bring forward the points like that, in that kind of way, mm-hmm. we'll probably agree. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, really the, the... When I start fighting back is just even even... Just doing it in a, in a way that's kind of either not, it's just bad faith kind of arguments. Okay. Uh, for example, like, thanks, Carl. Pat is very anti seal. Yeah. And yeah. He's, he's way yeah. more anti seal. Well, I'm not anti seal at all. Which is weird, but, but let's, let's touch okay. on. Well, they're saying I'm anti seal, Ian. I think, I, think what, what, I think what Carl is saying is that I'm against the existence of people collecting sealed games. And I, I, I've never said you cannot buy or own a sealed game uh, before. And I think this is where it gets it gets to be dicey. And this is what I talked to Carl about is I think he misrepresented my actual stance versus what he thought I meant on certain things. I, I think what they're about to get into is, 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 is to say that I have some weird vendetta against anyone owning a sealed game when obviously that would be a, a, a just insane stance to take because obviously sealed games exist. They're bought and sold. And I've bought sealed games before. I bought, uh, let's see, like a top secret episode. I, I, this is one of my favorite NES games. This is a sealed version. And I bought this because I love Top Secret Episode. So this this would disprove that point on its surface. And yes, I own the cart version because I because I like to play a little Google 13 here. Okay, what's... Oh, real quick, though. Isn't it weird that he's anti-seal? Like, why can't he just leave it alone? Why does he have to be against it? it I've, left, I've left alone people buying and selling graded games forever how many times did we used to bring up before the wada stuff ian and and the collusion weird stuff how many segments did we used to talk about sealed games on the podcast none you want to be generous say we talked about it maybe three or four times in like eight years sure it wasn't a topic of conversation when did when did we get annoyed by it i I mean grading and collect uh, grading was when we got annoyed by it and more annoyed when we started to see the weird stuff like the Pawn Stars appearance. Sure. That's when we got annoyed. We started to get annoyed when, when, when we saw um, games that were uh, counterfeit or repro games being graded. We started to get annoyed when we saw fake prototypes being authenticated as real. We started to get annoyed when we saw all these connections coming together. The same, the same ones that other people like Carl saw and did his video about. This is another straw man. This is not true. This is not true at all. I don't know, but I've I've tried to say to him, um, you right? can collect sealed, 
games uh, just because you think sealed games are cool. And, right. and, and why I like sealed games, I just think sealed games are cool. Um, and, and, and he was insinuating that, no, it's more to do with money and stuff like that, which it, I, I... Okay. So this was a this was a a Discord conversation, and I and I have the and I I have the the screenshots. I'm not going to go into them, but but my stance was uh, on this was that uh, when you have someone that's a, a quote unquote exclusive, we want to call them sealed game collector or speculator, is that it's not coming from the place of a regular collector does when they buy in the games sure. and, and love them because they grew up with them, they want to play them again. People that come into a, a video game store, that's an entirely different customer than someone that goes and just goes on eBay or tries to do deals with individuals to get seal games to grade them. That's an entirely different type of collector. And I don't think I'm, I'm insane for saying that. I don't. Because this is the conversations I used to have on a, uh, Nintendo Age. back. I used to have conversations with Bronte. Bronte is, was one of the guys that got a, he almost got a sealed NES set or did. And he's the guy that ended up selling the $100,000 uh, Super Mario Brothers to Jim Halper and Rich Lecce and the other partner that up on Pawn Stars. I used to get into conversations with Bronte way back, if this archive you can find them, discussing how the differences between someone who collects uh, video games, the quote-unquote traditional collector, versus the sealed collector, because the intent basically changes what it is uh, at some point. And Bronte actually, to his credit, agreed with me on some of the points we'd have going back and forth on these fucking forum conversations about that. Yes, Pat, he was like, Pat, you're probably right in some respects that this is not the same thing as a traditional game collector. Uh, moving on. I mean, so, he's got, so I'm he's saying got that, items. he's got high end items. He, he told me he's got like a sealed gyromite somewhere. Like, I, I, you know, I talked to the guy, he's got sealed stuff, but why does he have to be against it? You know, Ian, did I ever come to you in shame and say, like, oh, I have a sealed game. I shouldn't own it. Did I ever say that to you ever? No. Or just, oh, it's sealed. I happen to have it. Yeah. So he, so, so uh, Dave here is referring to uh, the fact I had a conversation with him probably at Long Island. And I'm kind of annoyed that he's trying to use a private conversation against me like this. But that's another conversation is that I have that um, exclusive NES test market set up there. That I got in Jersey. And inside of it, it had everything in it but the nes console it had the it had the rob it had all the pieces right and it had the gyromite and duck hunt and the gyromite has the sticker seal on it sticker sticker seal on it but it's closed and it's in mint condition and it's hard to tell if it was somehow opened and then resealed because the sticker is 100 percent intact so i brought the conversation that someone someone said that that combined with my duck hunt game which is pristine it's been opened could be worth forty thousand dollars and i relayed that to him and now he's trying to use that point against me by the fact that I own them, that I shouldn't be owning them, or that my mind is so fucked up that I, I don't think I should own them. I don't know what he's trying to say, but I'm, I'm annoyed that he's used a private conversation I had in good faith now against me years later. Uh, next. And, and he wasn't, he's, he's obviously forward enough that he hasn't sold that stuff. So I'm like, you know, is this more for your show? And if it is, that's fine too. But like, just don't. Why is he? Why is he against it? I'm not against people owning sealed games. I've never said you should not own a sealed game. Find me the quote. Find me the quote where Ian says or I say that you should not own sealed games. Find me that quote. Or maybe, or maybe uh, Garth can cut up some lines of different footage from me to make it say that I said that. No, he. 
he he portrayed he on his podcast or whatever he is he portrays himself accurately yeah because i've spoken to him privately and i know how he, how he feels privately yeah if he if he was like just putting on an act in his show then he would tell me you know i'm not really against seal because actually i wanted him to come on to i wanted to settle this you know and i said to him hey i'll put you in my new video and i'm like just say that you don't have a problem with sealed games right that's like a reasonable stance right to be right. like i don't yeah. I think speculation is bad, but I just, in, in principle, I don't have a problem. Um, but even that seemed to be an issue. Okay. So, so, so I think Carl jumped to a conclusion. We had a conversation on Discord uh, where he asked me to give my comments about it. And I didn't say yes, I was going to be in it. And I didn't say no. Um, what, what I was basically trying to say was at the time was that, well, first of all, I didn't know what, where he was going to go with the video, what he was going to do. I also didn't know who else was going to appear in the video. So I didn't want to agree to be in a video if I didn't know who else was appearing, sure. what, what their motivations were. And I should, I, I should have actually said that. I should have said, who else is appearing in this video and what the hell is going on before you want my comment on it? Like, cause I, cause I knew last year that what, what the, what the, he sent me the script before it came out, uh, last year, I believe of, of the September video where me and Sean appeared it. So I knew exactly what was going to be in it. So I felt uncomfortable with that. Uh, I just didn't want it. I didn't want me to come off as weird, like where it's like, oh, I got all these sealed games. Oh, the, everything's uh, cool, uh, cool in the scene. I didn't know what was happening with that. Uh, but I, I think what with what what's happening here is they're trying to conflate me or you and you uh, because your points are, are, are probably the same as mine when it comes to this. They're trying to conflate the motivation behind the people that are basically in the scene and pushing this stuff versus the existence of, of sealed games and people wanting to own them. And, and they're conflating both to be the same thing. They're trying to, they're trying to say that um, Pat's against sealed games when it should be Pat is against people that are speculating on sealed games that are manipulating the market. Sure. That makes sense. And they're conflating the both together. Yeah. And that's, what's annoying. And that's what no one is trying to separate out. So yeah. I, I, on an act, I think that's what he really believes, you know, or good I'm not whatever. saying he doesn't, he doesn't believe it on some level. I just, but he's on the same, I, he does believe it. I, I've heard it, you know, I've Thank talked you. to him directly, but on the same token, he's got high end valuables that like people, he said he, at one point, this was back in like 2020 or 1920. I think he told me he got offered 40 some thousand dollars for one of his games and he wouldn't sell it. And that, okay. That he's, re he's referring to the conversation about the gyromite and the duck hunt or someone, it wasn't a firm offer and I'm not sure why he's bringing it up, but someone valued the gyromite and duck hunt at like 40,000 for both. That what was happening. That's mm -hmm. what I told him. This was a, this was a polite kind conversation. He was next to me at Long Island all weekend. Uh, that, you know, uh, it, it's if he doesn't like high end stuff, then he and he likes everything open, then open it. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it seems to be contra contradiction to me. Well, why would that be contradictory that I can own stuff worth money? Well, again, it's it's just that. Well, I think it's conflating the two two mindsets. Okay, the next quote here is an unfortunate one, but I have to really zone in on this here. Because this is the one where it was out of bounds. At one point, this was back in like 2020 or 1920. I think he told me he got offered forty some thousand dollars for one of his games, and he wouldn't sell it. And that uh, that you know, uh, it, it's if he doesn't like high end stuff, then he and he likes everything open, then open it. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it seems to be contra contradiction to me. I think he's just not as rich. Okay, 
and I had this conversation with Carl on Discord. I'm going to be polite about this, and I was polite. Um, first of all, the amount of money I own or do not own is not relevant at all to any conversation when it comes to this. My my stance on uh, sealed game collecting or people colluding, people being cahoots, people trying to push what I think is a speculative bubble has absolutely zero to do with how much money I have on my persons or in my bank account. And my views on this, Ian, have not changed in a dozen years on what I think about this stuff. Sure. Yeah, they haven't. So, so that is out of bounds. It's out of bounds to bring up what money I have in my pocket at all or do not have. Maybe. I don't know. It just seems like a contradiction. I, I, in any event, I don't see why he's got to be against sealed games. Like You can do your CIB stuff. You can do card only. You can do the entire NES library, but like, why do you have to be against somebody else doing something different? Well, again, it's conflating people owning something versus how they are manipulating a market or using a market to their monetary advantage. There's only a couple little more on here. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. So, and trust me, I've tried, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to get that out of him, but I couldn't. So, <laughs> no, no, yeah. it, it was clear. It was pretty clear. Um, no, it's not going to happen. Is, um, but yeah, like Pat and I disagree on on certain things. Um, but I agree that he's not an ex. Like he's not. Like in hindsight, it's kind of it, it muddies the water a little bit. Like I agree with what you're saying about Pat not being the right person to speak for sealed collecting and stuff like that. Totally understand that. Right. And, and I wasn't privy to that when I made the video. Okay. But that's not why Carl got in touch with me. He didn't get in touch with me because of whether or not I was a sealed game expert. That was, that was, that, that was not what the video was about. But the, the, he got in touch with me because Ian and I were discussing this stuff for over a year before he did his video. For like a year and a half, we were talking about the sure. connections uh, between Jim Halperin and, and Dennis Kahn. And, and Jim Halpern being one of the three people that bought the Super Mario Brothers, and then that cart then appears on Pawn Stars. That's why he got in touch with me. So uh, uh, I'm not I'm not saying there, there's anything weird going on in this conversation, but I don't think it it, it, it tells the entire story. Uh, and so this is this is where I'm going to end at. I, I I don't know why the fuck I was brought up at all at the beginning of this conversation, uh, but I I mean I I know why. But if they were being honest, they would ask themselves why am I being brought up? Like wh- why am I why am I being brought up? Why is the focus on me? And the focus is, is on me is because um, even if, if Ian and I, when we speak about this stuff, if we give a cautionary angle to talking about this stuff, we might prevent someone from jumping into this market. Yeah. Even if it's five people. And the market doesn't step. stay alive without fresh additions. They lose money. Talking about Garth and, and Dave, they lose money. Unless more people jump into this pool of collectors, they lose money. They know that, and we know that. So when we say this stuff and give sort of a, or Sean from Reserve Investments, we give a cautionary tale about be careful. This stuff, there's some weird stuff going on here. There, there's more of these sealed games than you may know, and there's still more to come out. They don't like that. If they truly were quote collectors and they, didn't care about the monetary value and really were in this for the love of it, they would love what Ian and I would say because that means if less people jump in to buy it, wow, the prices of everything available comes down. They can buy more of it. They can then have more for their collection at a much cheaper entry level. But that's not what's going on here. 
And that's where I'm going to get back to, and I'll end this up before we go over time, is that um, the reason why there's a division between traditional video game collectors and and the speculative uh, folks into the SEAL stuff is because the primary focus and reason they get into it. Uh, and I'm not going to say 100%. I'll say 96% get into it is because they want a return on their investment. Sure. It may not be next week. It may not be next year. It could be five years from now or 10 years now. They want the equity of what they put their money in to go up. That's the main uh, difference. And that's why I'm brought up in conversation when I should not be. That's why I'm attacked because I keep recycling the same points to drill it, to drill the truth into people's heads about that. Any last thoughts? That's it. No, that's that's pretty much it. I'm annoyed that I was brought up. You should not, if I'm a crazy person, and Anita is a crazy person when it comes to this, you should not care what we have to say about it. If we're fucking lunatics when it comes to this, you should not care what we have to say. Especially since you can you can buy more stuff for your collection at a cheaper price. Because there's less people buying it. Wouldn't you want to win? But no, that's not what you want. That's not what you want. I would have loved for less people to have bought NES games, Ian. It would have cost me a hell of a lot less for me to buy my fucking bubble bath babes and my hot slots carts and my Myriad 6-in-1 and the NWC cart. I would have loved for them to be $100 games or $50 games because that wasn't a primary reason why I bought them. I didn't buy the NWC cart thinking, oh, next week it's going to be worth uh, 10 times the amount. I didn't think about that. I bought it because it was a historical piece and it was important. That's why I got it. All right, is that it? That's it. This portion of the CU podcast is brought to you by Gel Blaster Surge. Get ready to change the way you play. This revolutionary toy blasts water-based gelets that are natural and non-toxic. No stains, no residue, no mess. This is for real, Ian. We tested this with our safety goggles that comes with the Gel Blaster Surge. Safety first. This is great great fun right here remember those like water battles we all had as kids yes we'd walk walk around with uh you know uh, water balloons and stuff like that well we didn't have the gel blaster the gel blaster surge can fire the gelets 100 plus feet if you're interested in the gel blaster surge it's got a lot of great features it's rechargeable with a usb-c cord it comes with 10,000 gelets and it holds 800 in the hopper so you can play for a long time in between refills and recharges 10,000 gelets it comes with and it blasts in single fire or fully automatic mode it's really really fast um the pellets are non-toxic for your kids or pets so there's no danger there and it's relatively painless grab a bunch of these go out to the field have a have a blast Get it? Have a blast. I do get it. That's good. Did we mention that it comes with the the safety goggles? Always, always fashionable. You want to have fun out there? Get outside, get moving with the Gel Blaster Surge. You can click the link in our description or go to gelblaster.com and use our code GBCUPODCAST to get 15% off your Gel Blaster order. That's gelblaster.com and use our code GBCUPODCAST. Get yourself a Gel Blaster and get blasting. Ian, we got we got voicemails. Oh, we do. How do you get those? How do how, how do you access those? How do you leave one? You go to anchor.fm slash the CU podcast, and I think you do it via web or your smartphone. Keep them short and sweet. Twenty seconds. I love you. Twenty seconds is that sweet spot. Hey, I'm from here. Here's my question or whatever, and you're off and running. And here is the first one. 
Pat and Ian. This is your Prunedale friend, Chris, upstate friend. Uh, I just wanted to ask, because I'm watching your video of crash of sealed video game prices. It just occurred to me that, don't you think that the seals themselves can be faked? The plastic sealing, the boxes, especially with N64 games where the boxes are cheap as heck. Don't you think those those seals and boxes can be fake too? Uh, the seals, the, you need a really expensive machine to, to do the seals. Yeah, I mean, the um, type of sealing that is done on them is like, you would have to do a big run at a professional factory to get anything close to that. You could if you had one of those professional factories, though. You probably could pull sure. it off. Absolutely. So this is Casey from Oregon, Thank and you. I have a question just for Pat, because I know Ian does not like to drive, which, eh, Ian, I don't blame you. Uh, but Pat, what cars have you owned throughout your life, and which one was your favorite? Um, I only have owned two, so I don't have either as a favorite. Uh, but the first one I owned was a Geo Prism, which got like 40, 44 probably highway miles per gallon because it was so small. Yeah. And it, the turn radius, or that turn radius, you could almost turn around in the street without backing up. Yeah. I loved it. I, I mean, I loved it because it was so cute and unpowerful and good gas mileage. Why'd you look at me like that? <laughs> you gave me this look when I said cute. You're like, Geo Prism. Hey, Pat. Hey, Ian. What's up? This is Josh again. And I got another friend who's question. Hey, Josh. So I was just in uh, Connecticut for my um, buddy's wedding, and I saw a lot of friendlies. But I saw one friend who said a drive-thru. Have you guys ever seen a friendlies or been to the friendlies that has a drive-thru? I thought it was crazy. Thanks, guys. I think the one in my uh, – I think there was one in my hometown that had a drive-thru. Or or maybe not a drive-thru, but a separate walk-up window for ice cream. I think that's actually what I'm remembering. I think there's a separate walk-up window for ice cream. I don't remember any drive-thru. Sorry, guys. If I sound a bit off, I'm fighting a nasty cold. This is uh, Duffy from Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. Ian. I somewhat recently got a copy of Yokoi Kids Annual 1. I'm only halfway through, but it's fantastic. Are there plans to do a second volume? Pat. You want to answer that first before he sniffs? Uh, so uh, I hope you feel better or are feeling better. Um, there Will there be a volume two? I, honestly, I have no idea. I have a feeling we will get to one at some point. Yokoi Kids is still going on. Um, but it was a lot of work for Rick and the only money we took back from it was printing costs. It was a, a charity zine. Um, I think we'll probably do it again, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was a charity zine, but I think it's it's probably a little ways off. Excuse me. <gasps> hey! <laughs> hey! Hey, Duffy! <laughs> you want to be found murdered in a toilet in an airport like that old guy was? I mean, I mean, I mean... I mean, like I wanted to. Wanted to. <laughs> if you had to pick a classic '80s movie to get a sequel that never did, what would it be and why? I always wanted the Goonies to have a sequel, but I mean, they're too late to even have almost have kids. They're getting all up there. Yeah, uh, Goonies should have had a sequel about 10, 15 years ago with, yep. with Richard Donner. They thought about it, and I think they had a script at some point. It was one saying. of those things that, um, especially on early internet, always seemed to be rumored, yes. but never came yeah. to fruition. No, there should have been a Goonies sequel like two thousand ten. There should have been. Hey, Pat. Hey, Ian. This is Max calling from Madison, New Jersey. Uh, My parents got me Ape Escape 2 as a kid because they thought catching monkeys would be funny and very kid-friendly, and it definitely was. Uh, however, it took me until this past August to finally beat the game because my peanut-sized brain could not figure out how to progress. Um, so I just wanted to know if there were any games that were similar to that for you guys, games that took a long time to beat, or games that were just shelved for too long. Thanks, guys. 
what, what game that took you a while to beat that you came back to at a later time? I can't really can't really think of any, honestly. Punch out for me, for sure. Can punch never, out for pu- you. I couldn't beat Mike Tyson forever. Sure. At uh, Contra, I got way better at Contra as I entered my like my teenage years. Yeah, when I like growing up, I was not very good even at it. The, but, even with the Konami code? I mean with sure, I'm talking about actually. Oh, just playing. without it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, okay. that was like um, late teens for me where I finally like got that down. I was always good at Ninja Gaiden, but it's that last that fuck last freaking stage is insane. So that was always tough as a kid for me. But I was Ninja Gaiden is weird because like it goes from it's always difficult, but then that last stage just it ups it so much that you really have to be like pl- play perfectly at some parts to get through it, and that's what makes it so frustrating. I guess uh, I could say beat 'em ups as a it's just as a genre in general that I got sure. better at with age. Um, because as a kid, I just you know I didn't play them with any strategy. I just walked up to enemies and started punching on them. Sure. Hey, Pat Nian, it's Patrick from Elgin, Illinois. Hey, Pat. My question is for Pat regarding your thoughts on the Lethal Weapon sequels. Plus, a little trivia for you: the actor who played the main villain in Lethal Weapon Three is the same actor who played the villain in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Thanks, guys. Hmm. I never saw Turtles 3. Um, Lethal Weapon 2 is really good. Uh, and then 3 is bad. Or at least where I remember 3, I haven't seen 3 in forever. 3 is a real drop-off from 2. Because the idea was, I guess, getting old at that point. Sure. And then 4 was like... From what I remember, 4 would be was decent, and it was a good send-off to the series. It kind of tied up things, and, and then, um, you know... Uh, uh, what's his name? Murphy becomes a what's his name? Not Murphy. What's the, what's Danny Glover's? Murphy is fucking Robocop. Yeah, what's Dan, I'm thinking of Lethal Weapon times Robocop, which is a whole different series. Um, uh, yeah, he gets his daughter is going to have a kid, so it's going to be a grandfather. So it kind of ties up the series. And then Mel Gibson uh, uh, Riggs is going to have a kid with uh, what's her name from the third one. So there's some tie. There's some it ties up the series pretty nice. Uh, so I remember three being totally forgettable. I think they wrote it as it went. I read that they were literally writing it as they went. Which is not good at all to do that. But two is like the two, one and two are great. Like one and two back to back are great uh, to watch. Yeah, crazy ass Gary Busey in the first one. It was like terrifying as a villain. For <laughs> Love watching Gary Busey. You see, first Lethal Weapon. I've never recently? seen any of them. We He's talked about this the other week. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, they put a flame under his arm in the ones. I think they really did it. Because he's like, there's a flame under some guy's arm and he's just taking the pain. It's like, I think he's they, crazy. They might have actually done that with him. Hello, Pat and Ian. Hey. This is Noah from Maryland. First time, long time. I would like to know what your thoughts are on the continued indefinite delay of Advance Wars Reboot Camp due to the war in Ukraine. As of to the day I am recording this, it has been six months since Russia invaded Ukraine, and unfortunately, the war does not seem like it will end anytime soon. Do you think it still makes sense to indefinitely delay Advance Wars, which was intended to come out on April 8th because of this war? Do you think it is fair to the folks that wait? That's you, Ian. It's not me. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That was not me. You're looking at me. <laughs> the hell was that? I had left my cursor over an ad and it started playing with audio. Or do you think it is fair to the folks at Way Forward that they will not be able to make money from the sales of this game for the foreseeable future? Thank- uh, um, I, I think I can see delaying it when it was because the war was hitting right when it was, was supposed to come out. 
uh, back back earlier this year, like it was like early March, whenever it was supposed to come out. I say that I think at some point though, you have to realize that this game has to come out. This is Nintendo yeah. being Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, plenty of war games have come out. You know, Modern Warfare Two is in its beta. Uh, you know, I I, uh, I don't love the theme of war for games, but at the same point in time, I think people know the difference between fantasy and reality. And Advanced Wars is played off as extremely yeah. cartoony. It's a cute cute war game that Nintendo. It's a kitty Nintendo war game. So Nintendo I mean, needs to get over it and. I think it should come out probably this year. I think I think if they delayed it for a month or two, it'd be like, okay, fine. You know, that's fine. Be sensitive. But, but like, it's there, literally finished. There's always going to be conflicts, unfortunately, all around the world. It doesn't like, look like they have a lot of stuff coming out this Christmas, though, so maybe it would be a good time to launch that. Yeah. I was looking forward to it. I like the Advanced War games. I love them. Do a few more. Hey, Pat and Ian. This is Ryan from South Carolina. Love the show. This is a football question. Pat, since you're a Giants fan and Ian, since you're a Bills fan, Ian, how do you feel about the Giants taking most of the staff from the Bills? And in turn, mm-hmm. Pat, do you think that the Bills staff will be able to turn this thing around? Love the show, guys. Thanks. No, the, the Giants at best will make a wild card and get destroyed. I mean, at best. I'm not, I like watching the Giants play, but it's too early for their team to have turned it around in one season with, with a new, you know, new, new culture they're trying to, do there, but Dable's been good. Thanks, thanks for the, the you know, Buffalo. For yeah, Dable. I mean, I, I'm not particularly upset. You know, people move around all the time. That's just sports. That's football. Um, I do think they could have a positive effect on the Giants, but as you said, I think it's too early. Uh, and it really, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to the the players on the field. Very, very, very locker room type of answer. You take it yeah, day, I mean, day to day. And, you, know, you, you listen to enough fucking <laughs> sports announcing, your brain goes to mush, and you just start saying words that sound right. I'm not immune to it. Hey, guys. John from Lloydminster, Canada again. I was just wondering if you have any favorite game redemption stories in the style of, like, how No Man's Sky finally shook out. For me, it's got to be the modern console ports of Doom and Doom 2. They were really shaky when they first came out, but they've fixed the aspect ratio and the music and the graphics and the controls, and now they play pretty well. They even have a curated list of wads you can add on, like the Final Doom stuff or Romero's Sigil. Thank you. Uh, that's a little bit different just because the original Doom was great, so like, it didn't have to redeem yeah, it itself. I don't um, think that's quite the same. I think, yeah. I, I think uh, absolutely... Um, no man's sky is probably the best example of that. Uh, but when you said redemption, I was going a redemption game. I'll say, I'll say redemption game. Uh, I can tell uh, we used to go to putt putt, my friends and I in high school, cause we were bored with nothing to do. And we would play the shit out of Colorama. Uh, still probably my favorite redemption game. It's just roulette for children. That's all it is. Really? I don't think I ever played yeah. that. <laughs> it, it, it goes There's around. five colors in a ball and all the colors are different, uh, different sizes and you pick which color it's going to land on and obviously the smaller spaces give you more tickets. It's not a game. Ooh, it's it's not, <laughs> I, okay, I've seen non-skill redemption games where like the balls drop or whatever. There's but, lots of them. But they try to make them skill based no, in terms of the time. You're like, talking about literally gambling. It's all chance. Yeah, it's all chance. Oof. You're, well, you're, I actually, there's, you, a, there's you, a button. You, there's a okay. button you can hit okay. to like stop slow it. it down okay. and stop it. So like there's some... I was going to say, I think for legality, there has yeah, to be there, some there influence. Yeah, there is some okay. influence, but very, okay. very little. Ooh, that's, I was going to say, God, that sounds like a slot machine thing. There were slot machine... Going back to the Drake there were literal oh, yeah. slot machine, one, one-armed bandits to win. But I don't know if kids were prevented, but there was always the old women and old guys in their 60s, 70s playing them. To, it was so weird because it's it's you're gambling for for tokens to get little stuffed animals back. 
All right, do a few more here. Hey, guys, it's Brian from PA. Uh, in a recent episode, you were talking about rather out there pinball titles, and I was wondering, Ian, have you ever played Pinball Quest for the Nintendo? Yeah, we I love, love that. We we love that game. It's so weird and yeah, it's fun. Uh, physics can quirky. be a little wonky, but the idea is great. Um, I really like video game pinball, and as I get more into like as I as I as I mean, I play pinball multiple days a week now. It's it's my main hobby, um, but video game pinball that is video gamey. I love, I love that shit. Um, I have less and less interest in playing like virtual recreations of machines. I'd rather play them, but like pinball quest, um, uh, the devils, the, the, the crush series, uh, demons tilt, all of that shit. I love it. You're like a a narrative with your pinball. Well, it's not even a narrative. I just want it to, I don't want it to try to be the real thing. I want it to be its own thing. Sure. You want little characters running around doing shit and you hit them and I get it. Stuff you can't do in a real pinball machine. Exactly, exactly. Hey guys, Sergeant Zombie here. I know it's been a while. Been busy waging war against humanity. Uh, you may have noticed no circuses around lately. That's because, thanks to the zombie army, never liked clowns anyway. They always left a funny taste in your mouth. Just wanted to talk about Vid331. You guys were talking about kart racers. In Mario Kart, I always liked Toad. He's a fun guy you can play as. I'll see myself out. Thank you, thank you, Sergeant Zombie. Keep that fight against humanity going. Yeah, I guess I don't, we're I, we're happy for I don't, you. I don't know. I don't know where I'm supposed to where I'm supposed to go with that. Do one or two more. Let's do one more. Want to check in with someone? Let's check in with someone. I'm happy that we have someone else we can check in on now. Every once in a while. Okay. Hey Pat. Hey Ian. It's Voxandra, New Jerseyan refugee. I needed to call in because that attack on Pat was absolutely uncalled for. Gross. And I don't think any of us should stand for it. I mean, seriously, Gorgonzola. Someone just tossing accusations of cheese-like body odor, as well as stereotyping using an Italian cheese? The grating audacity of someone to try and shred Pat's character. (laughs) Ian can back up the fact that Pat smells like no such thing. And it is, in fact, a pleasant hint of fresh mozzarella. By the way, did you know I used to get teased by my Connecticut friends for saying Mario? I started pronouncing it Mario since they'd get all up in my ass about saying it wrong. From now on, I'll pronounce Mario as I should, with the new confidence you have given me. And if anyone gives me shit, I can say Pat Contry says you can kiss his mozzarella ass. Mm-hmm. Anyway, on to the purpose of my call. I was practicing Castlevania Bloodlines the other day because I'm not as good as it as I am with Castlevania 3, which made me think of something I wanted to ask you guys. Do you ever want to play? Oh, oh <laughs> sorry, you ran, you ran out of You ran out of time. Ran out of, ran out of runway there, Vox Andrea. Thank, <laughs> thanks, thanks for, for saying Mario the proper way. <laughs> <laughs> on the east coast and that yeah i smell like mozzarella i don't smell like gorgonzola gorgonzola that'd be a, that'd be a, a tough one is that a dr squatch smell gorgonzola. <laughs> gorgonzola sunrise well this was fun we're gonna get enjoy the rest of your day Ian. you gonna i got a lot of work to do i gotta go I got to work too. and then i gotta record another podcast and then i gotta make dinner so uh, that's what i'm doing we'll do our hangout in a week and a half i think we'll do it i we'll cannot do it this week we'll do it on the eighth i said a week and a half okay yeah week next week i should be able to do it we'll do it on the eighth or so there um and then uh, then i'll be at retropalooza as well on october god 21st and 22nd something like that uh the week after we'll be at portland i'll be there that'll be fun all right thanks everyone we'll see you next week bye